Meet me on the softer side. Meet me on the softer side. Softer side of your heart. Hi there, and welcome to the Skylight Books author reading series. You can find out about this and all of our other author events at www.skylightbooks.com, where you can also browse our inventory as well as order books online. You can also follow us on Twitter or even be our friend at Facebook.com. If you'd like to talk to a real person, we can be reached at 323-660-1175. And don't forget, Skylight Books depends on listeners like you to help support us. So whether you're in our neighborhood or browsing online, buy a book or two to help ensure that we'll be around for a long, long time. Thanks and enjoy. You guys, we're so excited. Please, big, big, big round of applause for Little Bet Snellings. Oh, man. Hello. This is so exciting. I have a rock in my hand, so no hecklers. Um, it's to hold the pages down. Um, thank you so, so much, all of you, for being here. This is, can you hear me? Yeah. Yes? Hi, look at all of you. Um, it means so, so much to me to have you all here on such an exciting occasion. Um, this is my first book, obviously, and, uh, and actually the book just came out, so this is my first reading, so um, thank you. It's very exciting for me. It's amazing that I sat in a glass box wearing very little clothing, and that didn't unnerve me, but this does. So, um, okay, first joke out of the, out of the gate. Oh, I have another one real quick. Um, I gotta open my phone for this one. Um, I just wanted to say uh, an extra special thank you for all of you coming because yes, not only are a lot of you west of Highland, you are west of the 405, um, which I I know what we all know what that means. And uh, all day today, I've been getting some funny emails, people canceling last minute. But this one by far takes the cake, which I am going to read. I will not say who it's from. <laughs> a magazine editor in LA. I'll put it that way. Hey, yo, I had a scheduling conflict come up with my ac acupuncturist appointment and won't be stopping by tonight. I hope it's a great event. If that's not the most amazing LA excuse you've ever heard in your life, I do not know what is. So that was fun. Um, okay, let's see here. Um, so uh, this book is a... Uh, some of you probably know all this, but um, it's a collection of essays about um, my moving to LA when I was 22 and all of the various um, odd jobs I had along the way. Um, chief among them, of course, being um, working as a box girl at the Standard Hotel just down the street on Sunset in uh, Hollywood. Um, and if any of you do not know what a box girl is, um, you are in the right place. You are going to find out. Um, to describe it briefly so you're not totally out of, you know, confused and out of context, um, behind the concierge desk at the Standard, there's a giant glass box and each night a different girl gets paid to sit inside it. 
Um, sorry, so fun. Um, and uh, while she's inside the box, she can do you know whatever she wants. She can uh, use her computer. There's Wi-Fi. She can talk on her phone. She can um, uh, sleep. I slept sometimes. Um, anyway, she can do whatever she wants. Um, the only real rule is that she cannot make eye contact with anyone outside of the box. It's supposed to uh, be like this. It's supposed to seem like this girl has absolutely no idea anyone is out there watching her, which of course is completely insane. Um, and uh, so anyway, that's, that's the concept. It's about a 15-foot box. Um, you're going about your business and uh, not making eye contact with anyone. And uh, it's supposed to be like human installation art. Um, so for about three, four years on and off, I was one of those box girls. Um, and also, just to tell you, the, uh, the structure of this book is a little unconventional. Um, I have at the top here, read slowly. I should also have at the top, talk slowly. Um, <laughs> Uh, the, con the structure of this book is a little unconventional in that um, it's chopped up into these shorter segments that are um, these uh, inside the box moments that are, um, you know, sometimes only a sentence long, chapters that are only a sentence long, sometimes only a paragraph long, um, and those take place while I'm inside the box. And then we sort of zoom out to these longer um, chapters that take place, you know, outside of the box. Um, so I'm going to read a couple of those shorter inside the box vignettes and then read one slightly longer, but not long, um, chapter about an experience that happened outside of the box. So, okay, to begin. <laughs> this is amazing. <laughs> um, uh, the second chapter of my book is titled, yes, that's right, a box girl rule sheet. And in it, I have literally copy and pasted the actual rule sheet that was sent to all of the box girls outlining um, the rules for being a box girl. Um, and in addition to very standard rules like what time to arrive and no food or drink inside the box, um, what the uniform is, which I should tell you is was a white tank top and white short shorts. Um, it also includes two of my favorite rules, which I will read out loud. Ultimately, this is a modeling job, and you must take care of your body. If you have severe bruises, bandages, or casts, you must wait until your body is healed and then be asked to put back on the schedule. <laughs> uh, and then finally, my favorite rule, please wear undergarments. <laughs> the, uh, the next chapter is titled, Please wear undergarments. And it's one of those one-sentence chapters. I never thought I would be employed at a place where that needed to be put in writing. <laughs> this chapter is titled, Could You Tidy It Up a Bit? I would like to think I'm a fairly responsible box girl. I arrive on time. I wear undergarments. I have never shown up to a shift with my leg in a cast. <laughs> Yet tonight I find myself reprimanded, the recipient of my very first box girl demerit. It's a few hours into the night when the concierge swings open the door, which he never does, so I am sufficiently startled. He takes in the view, me, the mattress, my stuff. You're not supposed to have so much stuff in the box at once, he says. Only one thing at a time. I guess this is an unwritten rule. 
I am, in fact, surrounded. To my left, my laptop. To my right, my phone. Next to that, three books, two spiral-bound notebooks, a blue pen, two black pens, headphones, hand cream, a nail file, and my electricity bill. <laughs> On the periphery, countless pieces of paper are wadded into frustrated little fists. It looks like my apartment. It looks real. It looks too real. Could you tidy it up a bit, he says. It looks messy. <laughs> This chapter is titled, Paper Planes. Every month there's a new installation in the box, each conceptualized by a different artist. Sometimes the back wall is covered in a collage of Polaroids. Sometimes it's painted in bold modern stripes. Sometimes it pulses with Dan Flavin-esque neon lights. While some installations are quite pleasant to be a part of, a tranquil surf video projected behind me, say, others are more unnerving. For a month, green paper lanterns and pink plastic flowers of an undeterminable variety hung from the ceiling of the box. I couldn't sit up without one of them hitting me on the head. While that was annoying, it was actually the least troubling part of the installation. Behind me, on the wall, were pictures, were pictures of odd little dolls in poses that failed to be cute. At the beach, in a rose garden, in a wedding dress, peering over a sunflower. The worst was a picture of one doll holding a smaller, even creepier doll. <laughs> no matter what these dolls were up to, their expressions remained unchanged. Foreheads too large for their faces, eyes of alien proportions, dozens of bug eyes fixed on me for seven hours straight. Some installations are three-dimensional three to the point of interactive. These can be a bit of a nuisance. Once the box was filled with dozens of paper airplanes, all different shapes and sizes hung at various heights from the ceiling by fishing line. The creator of this installation had asked that a fan be left on to create the effect that the airplanes were flying. While I'm sure this was a dazzling display to see from the safety of the lobby, it was a shitstorm to be stuck inside of. <laughs> A million adorable airplanes swirling and loop-de-looing their pointy little noses right into my face. After pulling one too many out of my hair, which was whipped into a beehive at this point, I decided my safest option was to hunker down as close to the mattress as possible in the no-fly zone. <laughs> see if I'm going in order here. Oh, yes, okay. This chapter is titled... She's got a good booty for a white girl. <laughs> People in the lobby assume I can't hear them when I'm in the box. <laughs> Perhaps it's from watching too many crime scene TV shows, but there's something about a glassed-in room that makes people assume it's soundproof. It's not. <laughs> If I choose to listen, I can hear everything. I can hear the drunk couple at the end of the night, her hanging on his arm like a koala on a branch, asking how much for a room for the night. I can hear the group of guys debating between the sky bar, the Chateau Marmont, or the strip club, as well as the unanimous decision, strip club, done. <laughs> Most interestingly, I can hear any and all commentary about that girl in the box, me. 
Tourists, especially those with southern accents, seem to ask the most questions. They'll lean forward on the front desk, their bags still slung over their shoulder, and demand to know, well, how in the hell long is she in there for? <laughs> Sometimes concerned parents ask, is it hard to breathe in there? But the most asked question by far is, can they go to the bathroom? When anyone finds out I'm a box girl, this is always the first thing they want to know. It is such a ludicrous question, I can't resist giving a ludicrous answer. No. <laughs> Are you serious, they'll ask, for how long? Seven hours, I'll say. What, they'll demand, how do you do that? Some box girls go in their pants, but <laughs> I, I prefer to avoid liquid for 24 hours prior to my shift. Just dry out like a raisin, I'll say. Of course we are allowed to go to the bathroom. Like the questions, I also hear a lot of observations about, well, myself. One night, a young African-American guy leaned over the counter and said to the male concierge, she's got a good booty for a white girl. I lay there on my stomach, my booty behind me, stadium-like lights shining down upon it, and stared at my book, frozen. I didn't know whether to laugh or cry. Though I'm no expert, I'm fairly certain this means I have a large booty for a white girl. I much prefer the question I'll hear if I'm lying very, very still. Is she real? This always makes me happy because I know mannequins don't have cellulite. Okay, now I'm, I love you, thank you, thanks for great. I would like to also say it's really exciting to see some people here who I actually don't know. So people actually showed up who I didn't relentlessly harass with paperless post invitations. Really, I, I don't know who you are, but thank you so much. Um, okay, um, this is the last chapter I'm going to read, and it's a slightly longer chapter, but not long, long. Um, and, uh, and I should tell you before I start it that when I first moved to L.A., Hi, Claire. Um, when I first moved to LA, I, my first job was um, working at a um, model and talent agency. Where are my, uh, where, where are Pam and Francine? There they are. Um, for two lovely ladies who, who uh, are here tonight. But don't worry, this chapter is not embarrassing for anyone except for me. Um, so anyway, so I worked at a model and talent agency, and when I quit that job, I, um, I quit that job to go to take an internship at a magazine, which really made a whole lot of sense, quitting my normal nine-to-five job with insurance and benefits to work at a magazine for free. It went over really well with my dad. Um, so anyway, when I quit and went, to, went on to work at the magazine, um, this agency ended up representing me. I became one of their clients, meaning they sent me out on um, commercial audits. About a year after I left the modeling agency, my direct boss, Pam, Pam, stand up, Pam. No, I'm just joking. You don't have to stand up. <laughs> my direct boss, Pam, suggested I go on commercial auditions. Actually, I am not entirely sure this is true. I think I might have suggested that I go on commercial auditions. It's just so much less embarrassing to say that it was her idea. While I realized they weren't going to send me down the runway at Chanel, I thought, I'd, I thought I could go on the occasional audition for a Colgate commercial. 
At the time, I was interning at one magazine, freelancing for others, and cocktailing at a restaurant. I thought booking the occasional commercial would be a great way to bring in some extra money. Little did I know that Booking the occasional commercial is about as easy as buying the winning Powerball ticket at your local 7-Eleven. <laughs> the only commercials I ever actually booked were for running or fitness-related ads, and that's because with all this newfound freelancer time on my hand, hands, I was running many miles most days. That and the fact that the other actresses interpreted come to the audition in running attire to mean show up smelling like cigarettes and yoga pants and flip-flops. <laughs> the art director for an ASICS campaign said he knew he was going to book me as soon as I got out of my car. You had on running shoes, he said, and your hair was in a ponytail. <laughs> the bar was set pretty low. My success in the commercial realm has been modest at best, mortifying at worst. While I have made a fool out of myself in front of very good-looking strangers at more than one audition, one such experience will forever hold the title of most embarrassing audition ever. A friend of mine was producing an Old Navy commercial, so she asked me to come straight to the callbacks, meaning I jumped over a hundred girls and got to audition with only a handful of finalists. Because fitness commercials were the only ones I'd ever come remotely close to booking, I assumed this was a callback for Old Navy's fitness line, which they don't have, by the way. <laughs> Did not learn that until way too late. Uh, um, thus, I interpreted the wardrobe instructions of short shorts and a tank top to mean running shorts and a running tank top. As soon as I walked into the casting facility, I knew something had gone horribly wrong. The other women were dressed in short denim cutoffs, heels, and slinky little tank tops. They were all models, real models, with long legs and thick flowing hair which had been curled into perfect ripples that spilled over their shoulders. They turned to look when I arrived. I stood at the entrance, my hair strung into a stringy ponytail, my chest flattened into a sports bra, wearing shorts with built-in underwear. Standing there, I wondered if they'd notice if I just started walking backward out the door. <laughs> Immediately, my producer friend spotted me, and I was stuck. No, you look great, she said when I questioned my attire. I live five minutes away. I said, I can go change. She insisted that I look perfect in what I had on. She was trying to be sweet. I really wish she hadn't been. As I filled out my information in the waiting room, I plotted my attack. When I go into the audition room, I'll make some joke about my outfit, I'll make them laugh, it'll all be fine. Moments later, a casting assistant came out and said the creative team was ready for us. Us? We had to all go in together? I should have just sprinted out the door. I was wearing running shoes. My friend grabbed my arm and said, let's go, hot stuff. At this point, I was fairly certain she was just messing with me. Let's see here. I kind of need my hands for this part. Um, hence my rock. 
12 of us marched in, them statuesque in their stilettos, me squatty in my tennis shoes, and took our positions side by side along a line of masking tape stuck to the floor. These women were standing in the most stunning positions, arrangements I would have never even thought of. Chin up, shoulders back, chest forward, one sinewy arm resting gingerly on right hip, pelvis thrust forward, left foot pointed ever so slightly to the southwest. I can't even do it. Uh, I looked to my right, I looked to my left, they were all doing it, in lockstep, as if preparing to bring their knees to their chests in a rocket-style can-can. I shifted my weight in my extra-stability running shoes and put my hands on my hips. This isn't working. Put my hands on my hips. Wait, that's too many hands, I thought. I look like a cheerleading coach. Only one hand. I dropped one arm and raised my shoulders to my ears. <laughs> Don't wear your shoulders like earrings, I could hear my mother say. <laughs> Shit. I tipped, my, I tipped my nose towards the ceiling and looked out of the corner of my eyes to make sure I was doing it right. I wasn't. <laughs> I looked like an asshole. We were told to slate our names for the camera, which basically I had always thought from working at the agency meant, just meant saying your name. Apparently not. These girls had moves I'd never seen before. Say name with enthusiasm. Rotate right, rotate left, complete a full turn, flip hair, look back towards camera, do sexy pouty face, then flash a big smile and say name again, this time with a more resonating sexy sound to it. I was screwed. There was no way I was going to remember all those steps. But if there was anything I did have in my arsenal that just screamed Old Navy, it was large, straight, white teeth. I've never had braces, and I've been told my teeth look like the ones that sit on the dentist's receptionist's desk. <laughs> I apply Crest White Strips religiously, if for no other reason than it is one of my many ritualistic procrastinations from writing. When it was, thank you, hi, Anna. Um, when it was my time to slate, I said my first and last name, which I sincerely have a hard time pronouncing, and did a quick twirl in my sneakers. This was not executed as delicately as I had hoped. The tennis shoe twirl made that terrible running suicides on the basketball court screeching noise. In an attempt to recover, I flashed the most gigantic smile I could muster. This, no doubt, did not read Old Navy, but rather borderline personality disorder. <laughs> the care, you're coming to all of my readings. <laughs> this is great. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, the camera operator explained the premise of the commercial. Mr. T, yes, as in the A-team, was also starring in the commercial, and he would be manning a tea machine, a magical apparatus that transforms boxy t-shirts into form-fitting ones. From boxy to foxy, an art director chimed in. The camera operator told us to walk as if on a runway, to the corner of the room and at the end of the imaginary catwalk, act as if our ill-fitting t-shirts had been magically reincarnated into sexy little tops. This had gone from bad to worse. The twirl was embarrassing enough. Now I had to strut along an imaginary catwalk in an ensemble better suited for pushing a jogging stroller. It's hard to be sexy in a pair of tennis shoes. I have a newfound respect for that girl in the Shape Ups commercial. <laughs> These model slates were just the beginning. During the actual audition, they strutted their stuff like it was Fashion Week in Milan. They had the flouncy stride, the hip pop, the toss-back smile laugh at the turn, the swooshy walk back with the sexy over-the-shoulder grin at the end. While waiting my turn, I considered my options. I could just walk out. No, speed walk out. My purse was on the other side of the room, though. I'd have to cross in front of the current auditioner and pass the camera. I'd probably trip over some vital cords and take the whole apparatus down with me. Not a good idea. Maybe I could just pretend to pass out? But that's almost more embarrassing. I was suddenly snapped into action when someone called, Next? The only close cousin to the runway walk while wearing sneakers is the power walk. So I stalked along the imaginary runway, swinging my arms beside me like a middle-aged mom summiting a neighborhood hill. God, so embarrassing. When I reached the end, it was time to engage in some t-shirt transformation theatrics. I had no idea what to do. I tugged on my imaginary ill-fitting top, which in my case was not imaginary, and made a frowny face. <laughs> so embarrassing. Then, God, this is so hard to write or say in front of a room full of people, I held my hands in front of my shirt and did spirit fingers. <laughs> Twinkling spirit fingers. Twinkling my digits as if they harnessed the magical power of the tea machine. I then opened my hands so my palms faced up as if to say, voila, like the ladies on The Price is Right do after revealing what's behind door number four. Finally, I did the only other thing I knew to do and flashed my giant crazy person smile. I looked at my friend who was looking at her feet and suppressing a great deal of laughter. When I returned to my place in the lineup, I waited for the final few girls to complete their turns. I marveled at their unsqueaky twirls, their poise, their appropriate wardrobe selection. After everyone was done, the art director stood and thanked us all for coming in. He then told us they would get in touch with our agents and we were free to leave. Most of the models took their time leaving the casting room, some swinging by the director's chair to say a personal thank you for letting them audition. 
I power walked to retrieve my purse, taking care to avoid eye contact with anyone in the room. With my bag firmly wedged under my now sweaty armpit, I was finally able to enlist my ensemble for its proper use and sprinted to my car. That's it. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, Los Feliz. Thank you. Okay. I don't know why I'm looking at you. I'm looking. Oh, yes, question. Oh, my God, yes. If anyone has any cues they want me to A, send them this way. <laughs> or if not, we can just drink. Okay. How did you get the job as a uh, Oh, that's funny. You should ask the gal behind you. Um, sorry. <laughs> Um, a friend of mine who will remain anonymous, uh, a friend of mine who I, work, who I interned with at the magazine uh, used to be a box girl, was a box girl, and she told me that they were looking for a new blonde. So um, that's how I got, uh, so, but then I went in and interviewed, and the interview was basically just them, um, you know, making sure I'm not totally insane, and you know, it was a very straightforward interview. Were they in there 24 hours a day? No, the box girls are in there from um, se typically like 7 p.m. to 2 a.m. Um, while I was there, it got cut down to, uh, I think, like 8 p.m. to 1 a.m. during the recession. Um, and then even box girls, not, you know, an inelastic good. Um, so, uh, but yeah, and then it was, yeah, so it was typically, the, the normal time is about 7 p.m. to 2 a.m. Anyone? Anyone? Did you get the old Navy job? <laughs> I did not get the old Navy job. No, and I have not talked to that friend since. No, I mean I. I, I, I that's uh, that was for that was for dramatic effect. I have. I actually just sent her an email yesterday saying I wrote this chapter. I'm going to read it tomorrow night, and you're in it. So, yeah. Um, yes. I. Person I don't know in the front row. I read Jill. in your LA Weekly article that you um, wrote the box chapters in present tense and then the other chapters in past tense. Mm -hmm. What is the reason for doing that? I thought that was cool. What's the reason? For um, that? The reason for doing that was um, I thought that um, I wanted the the scenes in the box to seem very immediate, like you were kind of right there in the box, so I chose to put those in present tense, um, and, and then everything else that I was kind of reflecting on to be in past tense. Um, I also chose to keep the box pieces shorter because, um, you know, I just thought it was more true to the how I was actually writing in there, which is, was just in fits and starts and scribbling notes on a legal pad or on my computer or on my phone. Um, so, uh, you know, I tried to keep those short. Um, so, again, they kind of seemed like I wrote them while in the box. I did write quite a few of them in the box. Not all of them. Don't tell Oprah. <laughs> Anyone? Anyone? Okay. Oh, yes. Like How long is a shift in the box? Um, for, uh, like seven hours, basically. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I hope to at some point. Um, I like to joke that my next, the title of my next book is going to be the book I had to wait till my grandparents died to write. Um, and that's going to be the slightly less G-rated version. Uh, just kidding. My in-laws are here. Um, but anyway, um, that's what I like to joke. But yeah, I think hopefully there'll be some more books down the road. 
Not immediately, though. What what exactly do you mean to like, sorry? How old is the oldest um, part that you've written? Like how long ago did you write it? Oh yeah. How recently did you write it? Yeah, um, uh, let's see. So this started, um, so as soon as I started working in the box, I, I, I wrote every time I was in there just because I knew, it, I've always been, or not always, but I've since I've lived in LA, I've kind of been working as a freelance writer. So when I got this box job, one of the main reasons why I was interested in taking it is I just thought it would be such an interesting experiment to be inside this box and basically be like the animal at the zoo. Um, so from that first shift, I was constantly writing down observations. Um, funny things I'd overhear, um, you know, just various different things um, from my experiences in there. So those bits and pieces started, um, I, I made those into about like a, like a six, ten page essay um, that I initially tried to sell to magazines. This was in like 2008, 2009. And it didn't sell anywhere. And, um, and I'm, I'm glad that it didn't because um, I then took that uh, kind of 10-page thing to my MFA, my master's program at USC, um, and that turned into, hello USCers out there, there's a lot of you, go Trojans. Um, and so uh, that piece I took to the program, um, I workshopped it in quite a few different classes, uh, and then it eventually turned into my thesis, which turned into um, the manuscript. So to answer your, the second part of your question, so the first things that I wrote were probably in like 07, um, and the most recent things I wrote were on what was quite possibly the shortest book deadline of all time. Um, uh, sometime, I'm glaring at my editor. Um, no, I'm just kidding, I love you, Nicole. Um, but um, yeah, I wrote, I added quite a few pages this summer, so in, um, about like May, June, uh, April, May, June of this year, um, I added about 150 pages. So in six weeks, it was awesome. <laughs> I had three months to be fair to her, but I wrote them all in six weeks. <laughs> Since you had to avoid eye contact, do you have people that would come up to the box and tap on it or really try and engage you to put that room? Yeah, um, yeah, it's like the like the guards at Buckingham Palace kind of people are like trying to get your attention. Um, they let's see, the, the concierge would say no you weren't allowed to touch the box. Um, so if people tried to go up and like bang on it, they would stop them. Um, but yeah, people were always like, you know, waving their hands or, you know, saying things and um, and you know, the thing is about the no eye contact is you can still look. So I mean, you, I was looking out. Um, I mean, when I wasn't reading a book or on my computer, you could still look. So um, it's not like I wasn't seeing anyone. So, but yeah, people would definitely. Um, and it was really funny for those people who didn't know that I wasn't allowed to look because they just thought I was being rude or something. I don't know. <laughs> yes. Yeah, uh, great question. Um, 
So let's see. I have always, as long as I can really, well, I actually, no, I can, I can actually trace it back to a particular um, instance. And it was in first grade, and I wrote an essay about Helen Keller. Um, and, uh, and I won an essay contest for my whole elementary school. So I was like going up against fifth graders. So um, I, thought that was, I thought that was pretty cool. And I got this blue ribbon, and I got ice cream, and I got my picture taken with the principal. And, um, you know, it's amazing what, what positive reinforcement in a kid can do, because from that point on, I really thought of myself as someone who was good at writing. And I, whether that is true or not, um, you know, that kind of experience, you know, propelled me on to write. Um, so yeah, I always, I love to write. I always kept a diary. Um, in high school, I was like very involved in my school newspaper. And in college, I was a journalism major, which is like not even a major anymore. It's so sad. Um, and, uh, and, and yeah, was it, it was definitely hard. Um, it's been hard many, many times. Um, I think as any writer, you know, because you just kind of put your head down and do this work and, and there's not a lot to show for it for like many, many, many years. It's the same thing with acting or music or anything. Um, so yeah, you know, when I would, when your parents would ask, oh, or people would ask, oh, who do you write for? What, they've never heard of any of the magazines. No one's ever read anything. They, they don't, they, they think you're just wasting money in a master's, pro you know, it's all very, um, it's pretty thankless until moments like this. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. I don't know why I'm clapping. You've been listening to the Skylight Books author reading series. Don't forget that you can check out this and all of our other great podcasts at www.skylightbooks.com. Today's music was provided by Fragile Gang. You can check them out at MySpace, Facebook, and the iTunes Music Store. Thanks for stopping by, and we hope to see you soon.